Well, we've sung about God's grace. Appreciate Dan uh, using those songs for us to to think about and pray about and teach about God's grace uh, in song. And uh, and the the uh, passage that Brad read for us in Psalm 107 is really a a, uh, a psalm of thanksgiving as God delivers uh, His people from from uh, exile and from a variety of perils in that text. And it emphasizes repeatedly, uh, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and, and uh, or His loving kindness. We see embedded within there is His grace and mercy. Uh, and in fact, that text uh, is uh, in describing the uh, returning of uh, a remnant from exile it was because God brought them out of that exile because of His goodness and His kindness, His grace toward them. And uh, it's, it ought to be understood that in the New Testament, we're taught in Romans 11 and verse 5 that God uh, is uh, gathering a remnant according to the election of grace. That uh, God's grace is at work in His Son through the Gospel to gather those who have been held captive by sin from the four corners of the earth. And, and so that return from exile was uh, only typified what now is accomplished uh, through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to study that grace tonight and begin like uh, we often do by trying to define really in an accurate way, in a biblical way, what we're talking about. The word grace, of course, uh, Greek language is a friendly disposition mindset which from which the kindly act proceeds. That is, there must first be the disposition of favor that then proceeds in an act, in an action. To be gracious is because there's first uh, a, 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 a disposition of grace within oneself. Uh, and, uh, and we're taught that we're to show grace and favor. So God Himself also has a good will as the psalm noted, it's God's goodness, His mercy, His loving kindness uh, that prompts act- actions of grace and the offering of, of, uh, of salvation by His grace. So he goes on, Ryan says that the stress is on the freeness and the universality of the grace. That is, it's offered to everyone and it, it comes spontaneously from God's character, that He is good, that His goodness uh, uh, from His goodness proceeds uh, the mercy and grace, the kindness Paul talked about in Titus 3, which is the sub-note there in the song that we just sang in Titus 3. Paul said in Titus 3 and 4, when the kindness of the love, our, uh, uh, kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. And then he goes on to talk about God's grace and, and, uh, uh, and His mercy that saves us. So from God's disposition of kindness and goodness proceeds grace and all the blessings and benefits of it. Now, uh, so that, as Vine went on to say, in the case of God's redemptive mercy, it's the pleasure or the joy uh, that He designs for the recipients of the grace and God's favor. Uh, we, we often talk about grace in terms of being a merited favor because it's a gift. It's a favor that, uh, uh, that comes from God's kindness, His goodwill toward us. It's not merited. It's not 
deserved is not earned. Okay, so 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 mercy, or grace by definition uh, is not a debt that is paid, uh, but is a gift that's given. But the gift has to be received, and and we'll see. There's some conditions that God says are are part and parcel with actually receiving the blessings of His grace, uh, and uh, otherwise there's universal salvation because. God desires all men to be saved. God is, is good and loving and He wants everyone saved. If it's merely grace uh, and no condition of faith, then everyone goes to heaven and nobody loses their soul. So we'll talk about the conditional aspects of grace in a minute. But I thought it might be important for us to spend just a couple of moments here at the beginning of this study to, to uh, look into some of the different views of grace that we encounter. If we're our friends, perhaps, somebody we're studying with, and hopefully that we might be able to have some studies along with, we may come into a variety of views of of grace. Uh, For example, there's the Catholic view of grace. The Catholic view of grace, and this is a a quotation uh, from a, a Catholic source, what does divine grace do for us? Um, he said, the, the grace of God is a sharing of the divine life. It is the infused presence of God. A presence that is supernatural, not merely natural. Human persons are not born in a state of grace. And there is nothing we can do ourselves to earn grace. Rather, divine grace is favor and is freely bestowed. It is true that we can reject grace. So while I have some things that are or accurate scripturally at the end of that quotation, at the beginning there's a major problem. Do you see what it is? Grace is the infused presence of the supernatural presence of God. So so we read of the Eucharist. You know what the Eucharist is? That's, you know, that, that, that this meal of grace. They believe that God's grace literally comes in the form of the literal body and literal blood of Jesus. The substances are transformed. So, to the Catholic mind, there's this idea of some supernatural infusion of God's presence. That's what grace is to them. That's not what the Bible says. That's not the definition of grace at all in the Bible. But there's also the Wesleyan view of grace, Methodists and others, from John Wesley, who described grace in three parts. He taught that grace is uh, defined uh, in three different formats. Prevenient, and there's a word I don't know. We use that word every day. No, we don't use that word, but it means preceding. So he says there's grace that is preceding, there's grace that is justifying, and there's grace that is sanctifying. Again, he makes distinctions where there are none in the Scriptures. Sanctified and justified are simply different terms and different concepts to refer to the same thing of uh, being set apart and being pronounced not guilty of sin, of our redemption, different aspects looking at our redemption. But he says God's grace is a unity, um, and, and Wesley defined it that way. Well, again, he uses terminology and distinctions that don't exist in Scripture. And he says part of the grace sanctifying grace and another part of grace is justifying grace. Well, he's beginning to, to parse where there is no division to be made. 
There's Calvinism of grace. We're familiar with that, perhaps here more than any, with all with the many reformed churches in this area. Calvinism teaches that grace is irresistible, and it's given only to those who are unconditionally elected by God, predestined to be saved. So, to the Calvinist, grace, receiving grace and retaining grace is not conditional. God made that choice to give you grace if you have grace. And if you don't have grace, God chose that you'll never have grace. It's irresistible. If you don't have it, you're going to have it. And when you have it, you can't lose it. It's all up to God and nothing up to you concerning grace. Now, I know that's very... Abbreviated, but that's in essence, and that comes from the Westminster Confession of Faith in the Book of Confessions. And you can go there and you can read those quote those citations. It's all there. If you want the, the, the documentation, it's readily available. We'll be glad to share it with you. The universalist view of grace is very interesting. They say, they say grace is a place and a space where everyone belongs, everyone is accepted. Here's a Reverend Charles Stevens. What is grace to a Unitarian Universalist? I might ask, what's a Unitarian Universalist? Right? He says, grace, he says, is it not present? That is, is grace not present when we sense that there's a space or a place where we are accepted and belong? If there's a place um, where we're accepted and belong, then, then that's grace. Grace is feeling accepted just as you are. Are That's his quote. Grace is feeling accepted. Grace is having the deep and strong feeling that you are okay and have a place in the universe. No matter how small that place may be, grace is feeling accepted just as you are by something greater than your individual life. Significantly, he goes on to say, this definition of grace does not exist because someone's life was sacrificed for us. So he throws out the, the, sac, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in terms of grace. Doesn't have a thing to do with grace, he said. Now that's the universal, that's the Unitarian Universalist. That's the United Church of Christ and those of that life. Okay? Never anything to do with somebody dying for you. And best of all, we don't, we don't even need to wrestle with what that something is or isn't. Maybe God, may not be God, doesn't really matter. He said grace is experiencing the joy of being alive in the here and now. Grace is being present in the here and now, alive and conscious of being alive in a relation to the larger interconnected web of life. You belong to life. That's grace. Enjoy it. You belong to life. When the, when the universalist, the Unitarian... They talk about grace. They're not talking about God's favor toward man that sent a Savior to die for us so we could live with Him. No, it's that grace is just belonging to the inner, inner, belonging to each other, and all of us belong to life. And you find your space where you're, you feel accepted and you feel, you know, cocooned, and that's grace. No, that's not grace at all. Not Bible grace. That's not, not Bible grace at all. Of course, when you throw out the sacrifice of Jesus, any wonder they don't believe the Bible is the actual Word of God. And God's thrown out along, along with all that. But that's another discussion. You see, my point is there's all kind of views about grace. 
out there. And if we think that there's just a singular view and everybody thinks of grace the way we think about grace, we're wrong. And, and, and it, it is important for us to at least be listening to what others mean when they say grace if we're interested in understanding and communicating with them to try to teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to have to unteach some things as we teach them what grace is because the Bible says that there's such a thing as the true grace of God. 1 Peter 5.12 By Silvanus, our faithful brothers, I consider him. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. There is a true grace of God and the brethren that Peter wrote to stood in that grace. It's true grace. It's a grace that he exhorted about and he testified about. That's the grace that we want. That's the grace we need. That's the grace and the only grace in which anybody is going to stand with God in. It's when we're in the true grace of God. We need grace. We need Bible grace. We need God's grace. We need God's favor. We cannot save ourselves. We are with with sin, we are dead. We are separate from Him. Justifiably. Only thing we look forward to is the wages of sin, and that's death. Only thing we can look forward to when we are not in God's grace is to be lost forevermore. And no amount of, of rationalization or seeking some safe space here on earth is going to, going to do with changing that reality about our need for grace as well as what it is and how uh, we obtain that grace in Jesus Christ. So let's, let's identify the grace that has come into the world. The Bible says grace came into the world in Jesus Christ. In John, the first chapter, John said, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word, who was in the beginning with God and was God, who created all things, deity, became flesh. God became flesh. And in Him is the fullness of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He who, whom, of whom I was said, of whom I have said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. So John testified of the eternal nature of the Word who became flesh, of the Christ, and he's, who is full of grace and truth. And of His fullness we have received, and grace for grace. So John the Apostle now says, we've received the benefit of the fact that He is full of grace and truth. We've received grace for grace. Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law of Moses served a purpose, but it didn't serve the purpose of, of manifesting the grace of God. It served the purpose of identifying sin and demonstrating that we are held captive by sin and that we need a deliverance from sin that we cannot give to ourselves. Amen. The animal sacrifices offered daily and repeatedly, month, weekly, monthly, and annually as an atoning sacrifice 
all of them made that point repeatedly. We can't take away our sins and the blood of the life of animals couldn't take away our sins. Can't take away that sin. Grace didn't come through the law. If we keep the law, we live. But you violate the law, you die. You violate the law, you're a sinner. And all of sin. We need grace. You can't go back to the law to be saved. The law condemns me as a sinner. I need something more than that. Something instead of that. We need a new covenant. The covenant of Jesus Christ. And so, in Titus 2.11, Paul said, the grace of God that makes salvation available has appeared to all. God's grace has appeared. How? In Jesus Christ. In the Gospel that is preached. The Gospel of His grace. Let's read that text exactly. Titus 2.11 For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We cannot look with hope and expectation of Jesus unless we have grace. Unless we are saved by that grace. And unless we follow the teachings of that grace. And unless we live according to that grace. So if we're going to look forward to the return of Jesus, we need grace. And it has been revealed to us in Jesus and it has been proclaimed to us in His Gospel. Jump over there to, again, John 1. I didn't read the 17th verse there to summarize that text. It said, well, yes I did. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now now see that preached in Acts 14 with me. In verse 3, when Paul and and, uh, Barnabas in this occasion are preaching... It says that they stayed there for a long time in Iconium, speaking boldly in the Lord, who, were, who was bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders be done by their, was being done by their hands. So they are preaching the gospel, and he describes the gospel as the word of His grace, the word of God's grace. God testified that it was accurate by the miracles that attended their preaching. They were working miracles as they preach the Word of His grace. Sinners need grace. And it is the Word that communicates that grace. Found in Jesus. Communicated by His truth. Remember, full of grace and truth. So in chapter 20 and verse 24, Paul said that I received a ministry from the Lord Jesus to testify to the Gospel of the grace of God. Paul proclaimed the gospel of the grace of God. He testified to its truthfulness. And he bore that message to, to a lost world. So God's gospel, or God's grace is connected to his gospel, to his word. When we lay aside truth, we're corrupting grace. We're not going to have access to grace. That's simply put in Galatians 1 in verse 6 when Paul said, I marvel that you are so so soon removing yourself from the grace of God. Or, or, I'm sorry. Yeah, unto a different gospel. I'm sorry. You're so soon removing yourself from the grace of God unto another gospel, a different gospel, which is not another. But some trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. I remove myself from grace 
when I pervert the gospel of Jesus. Because it is the gospel of Jesus that reveals His grace and teaches me how I can be a part of the election of grace. How I can be chosen by God to be in His remnant of the Son. To be in His body of the redeemed. To be in His church. To be delivered from sin. Grace is in Jesus. It's offered from heaven to the world in the Gospel. Look at Colossians 1, 5 and 6 where again this point is emphasized. It, we cannot uh, too often demonstrate this point because the world, and we read some of them, the world's concept of grace removes it from this Gospel message. It's some supernatural act from heaven that, that comes to you. Or, or uh, you know, it, it, God sends it to you irresistibly. God chose you long before eternity past, before creation, way back in eternity past, and, and, and you don't have a thing to say about it. So they remove the, God's grace from this gospel, but not in. That's not what the apostles taught. The apostles over and over connected the true grace of God with something that's being testified and exhorted and proclaimed and preached. Colossians 1.5 Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you. So the hope of heaven, the hope that's in heaven, has come to us. How? Well, we heard about it in the word of the truth of the gospel. How did you hear about heaven? How did you hear about hope? You heard it from a message, from a word of truth. The truth is in Jesus. And it told about the grace of God. Watch this, verse 6. Which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. You see, we hear about grace, we know about grace, we learn about grace, the grace of God in truth. Not in the doctrines of men, the creeds of men, the theologies of men, but in the simple gospel of the good news of a Savior who died because God loved us so, that He was rich in mercy and kindness, and He provided a Redeemer to deliver us, to extend favor to us when we were enemies. We were lost. Galatians 1, 6 and 7, as we already mentioned, grace is preached in the Gospel. So when we corrupt the Gospel, we corrupt grace. We, 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 we cut off our access to the true grace of God when we accept a Gospel that's different than what was preached by the apostles received in the first century as the very message, the very Word of God, which now we have in Scripture. So, God's grace is offered, or God's grace offers salvation. Oh, that's what Titus 2 11 said. And so, believers have a right to become children of God. The truth is found in Jesus when preached. That gospel, when preached, 
is a, is a means whereby we come to faith. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. John 1.12 says, To as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on His name. People say, I've received Jesus in my heart, I'm saved. John 1.12 says, if you receive Jesus in your heart, you're a believer, now you have the right to become a child of God. Words authority there. Now you have the power to become a child of God because you believe. If you don't believe, you're not going to be a child of God. That's what Mark 16, 16 says. He that doesn't believe is condemned. But if you believe, you have the right to become a child of God. Well, you have the right to do something to respond to obtain grace and be saved by God's grace. What is that condition? It's faith. Faith is the condition upon which sinners receive God's grace. One of the big disputes that the world has with the Word of God is misunderstanding the nature of that faith. The nature of the faith that saves is the kind of faith Abraham had in James 2, 21-24, when God said, Take your son, your only son, and offer him as a sacrifice on the mountain. And by it says... Uh, that that you see that Abraham by his works was justified. His works of faith. He took God in his word. He trusted God and he obeyed God. That's the condition. Faith is the condition. It's not faith only. The believer has the right to become a child of God by having a faith that follows Jesus' word of truth on how to obtain benefit of His blood, benefit of His death. That's offered to all. You see, in terms of the sinner's relationship to grace, we need it. We're outside of it. The sinner, when we were lost in sin, we, we were not in grace. We're not in God's favor. We're enemies to God. Lost. Lost. That I can be saved by God's grace. Every one of us are saved by God's grace. You say, oh no, I was saved when I was baptized. Yeah, well, why was that? It's because God's gracious. Because God has revealed in His Word of grace, I'm going to be gracious to you and forgive you when you have the faith to repent and be baptized. You didn't earn it. You didn't. Median condition doesn't mean you can stand up and say, now you owe this to me, God. No, it's a gift. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. And this is the, this is the balance between understanding God, our responsibility to truth and our recognition that without God's grace, uh, there's nothing that we can say and do that would make it any different but that we're lost and condemned. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, verse 4, to it. it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Who made us alive? God did. Because He's rich in mercy. Because of the great love He has. When we were dead, He made us alive. In Christ, by grace, you've been saved. And raised us up together with Him. Made us sit with Him in heavenly places. That we that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace 
in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So it's in Christ Jesus that we've been made alive when we were dead in our sins. For by grace you've been saved through faith. God's grace provided Jesus. It's our faith that says, I'm going to come to Jesus and I'm going to submit to His will. I'm going to repent of my sin against Him. I'm going to be baptized because He said to do that in the Word of His grace that told me about heaven and the hope I can have. Because I deserve death. Sinner's relation to grace is you're outside of it. You deserve death. We all did. All sin. We all deserve to die. That's the wages of our sin. But Romans 3.24 says, but he says, having justified us freely by His grace, we have redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is Ephesians 2. Said, in Christ we redeem. We, we obtain the benefit of God's grace. God's favor is bestowed there. In Acts 15 and 11, the Apostle Peter said concerning the Jews and the Gentiles' salvation, he said, we, we Jews believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they, whether Jew or Gentile. We're all going to be saved the same way, by grace through faith. Not by the law of Moses, that was his application there. But by faith, it's the faith of our father Abraham. The faith that God will count for righteousness. Romans 4, 7 and 8. 5, 6, 7 and 8. So faith is the condition that the Gospel teaches us. To have the faith of Abraham. Romans 4, 16. Right, look at that one verse on that. I already mentioned it, but just here's, here's the point. Here's what we've been referring to. Romans 4 and verse 16. Therefore, it is of grace, I'm sorry, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. He's talking about the receiving of the promise, the blessed promise that he made to Abraham that in your seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. How do I get that blessing? Well, he says it's, it's uh, a faith that it might be according to grace. It's not of the law, it's of faith. The faith, the gospel. That it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, not just the Jews, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. We have to be of the faith of Abraham. The faith that he had before he was circumcised. The point was made. The promise was made before circumcision. It didn't have anything to do with obtaining that. The law was added to the promise. Galatians 3 says, I need faith of Abraham. I need to have, I need to meet the conditions God's given me. What if Abraham had not lived his faith, had not trusted God, had not gone into his wife Sarah when he promised a child? He goes on to make that exact application in Romans 4. He didn't become weak. He didn't, he didn't, he was fully convinced what God promised he's able to do. But he had a part in that. It wasn't, it wasn't a miraculous conception. God gave him the ability, gave him the power. But he and his wife came together. He had faith, trust in what God said. When God said, offer your son, the son of promise, kill him. Abraham raised the knife and was prepared to slay him. A 
faith that was so wedded to trust in God. Brethren, that's what we need. That's what He wants us to have. A faith that is so wedded to the will of God that we say, if it's possible, remove this cut, but not what I want, but what you want to be done. And then we do God's will. We do His will. We access grace through that obedient faith. And by the way, Romans 5 2 says, He pulls it together in Romans 5 1 and 2. He says, Having therefore been justified by faith, not by the law, but by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have to understand the, con- the contrast Romans makes, Paul makes in Romans, is uh, one of them is the law uh, and faith. The faith. The law and the gospel. And he says, We're justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We stand in grace. The sinner doesn't stand in grace. The Christian stands in grace. That is our abiding place. That's where we reside. That that is our place of residence. And he says, noting that we access that grace by faith. Coming to God's grace by faith. And then we live by faith. Living by faith seizes the blessing of grace, the power of grace in our life. Look at that in Galatians 2. Say, I want God's I need God's grace in my life. How do I grow in grace? I grow in grace by living by faith. That's where, that's where we seize the blessing of grace is by living by faith. Galatians 2, 20 and 21, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. He said, you can be righteous under the law of Moses without, unless you never sinned against him. All of sin. So, so now he says, I'm not setting aside God's grace when I teach you we need something other than the law for righteousness. Christ didn't die in vain. He died so that we have a means whereby we can come to God's grace and live in that grace, stand in that grace, be strengthened in that grace. And that's by living our faith. You want, to, you want to grow in grace, be strengthened in grace, then you got to live by faith. And that's just look at with me here very briefly. Our relation to grace, the Christian's relation to grace. Well, we're supposed to continue in it. It's not that we just access it one time. The Bible says in Acts 13 43 that we're supposed to continue in grace. The, the, the new Christians there from in Iconium. It says that um, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Continue in God's grace. Now, uh, that's a responsibility that they and we have. Um, So, if we can continue in it, then necessarily it is possible to no longer continue in grace. And one of the ways we found that could happen is if we pervert the gospel of Christ, then I don't continue in grace. Galatians 1, 6 and 7. 
We need God's favor. We need it more importantly than we need to just do what we want to do in terms of the Bible. No, when we do what we want to do and disregard His Word, then we forfeit grace. We're to, we're to continue in His grace. Acts eleven twenty three. the Christians in Antioch. When Barnabas got there, it says when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. He saw God's grace. How do you see God's grace? You see God's grace as you see people living by faith. And you see God's blessing in them as they live their faith. So we've got to live our faith. We want, to, we want to continue in grace. We want God's favor. Then we have a responsibility to continue in it. To continue to live with faithfulness, faithfulness to Jesus. That means we no longer serve sin. Romans 6. An extended passage. The effect of grace in our life is now we've made a choice to no longer be the servant of sin. This same way of saying live by faith, just saying now, rather than sin ruling us, we're not going to continue in sin. It's not going to dominate us. Uh, we, we Romans uh, six fourteen says uh, we are uh, not under. Uh, he says sin shall no longer have dominion over you. You're not under law, but under grace. When we're under grace, sin doesn't rule us. Christ does. And we yield ourselves to Him. You see, grace that condones sin is a corrupt grace. Jude 4. He warned about those who turn the grace of God into lewdness, into lasciviousness, into sinfulness. Grace does not condone sin. Grace does not say as long as you feel comfortable and you feel accepted, then, then that's the place of grace. You know, we've got to be accepted by God. And God does not accept sin and does not define grace as, as, a, as saying sin doesn't matter. No. He says, you who... He said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? May it not be so. We who died to sin, how shall we any longer live in it? So, we've got to continue in grace. Serving Jesus, not serving sin. Christians' relation to grace is we grow in grace. We alluded to that. Paul said, I am what I am because of God's grace. And he served by that grace. God's grace supplies us with what we need to grow. Paul said, I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up. God's grace will strengthen us to grow even more in grace. Look at Colossians 4 and verse 5, 6 with me, please. Colossians 4 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Here's, here's a way I grow in grace. I be sure that my language is proper and seasoned with righteousness, seasoned with salt, if you please. He said, so I can give proper answers to everyone, what I ought to do, what I'm morally obligated to do. My speech needs to be with grace. Remember, the definition at the beginning is grace proceeds from a place of goodness, a place of kindness, Titus 3, 4. So it is with us. If we, we who, who have God's favor need to favor others, it needs to be from a place of kindness in our lives, in our hearts, that we show favor and kindness 
to others. Yes, even sinners, especially sinners, just like God did us. <coughs> Does that condone sin? No, God never condoned sin when He showed grace to sinners. He offers the salvation by grace through our faith. So, so He calls us out of sin. So we show favor trying to help others come out of sin the way God did for us. What's our relation to grace? The Bible says that we would be strengthened in it. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. The verse says there, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Be strong in grace. Again, it goes back to the matter of living by faith, but I want to draw your attention to a couple of passages in 2 Corinthians real quick. The Bible teaches that grace, God's grace supplies us for good works. If we want to be stronger in grace, then let's have the faith to be about doing the good works that we have the ability to, to, to be about doing. In that text, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, part of it will sound familiar to us. So each, let each one of you give as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Paul says it's not enough to just be thankful that you have sufficiency, but when he says when you purpose in your heart to give, uh, cheerfully recognizing that God has blessed you with sufficiency, He'll grant you sufficiency to have an abundance for every good work. He will, incre- in fact, increase our ability to do that. Let's keep reading. As it's written, He he has dispersed abroad. He's given to the poor His righteousness endures forever. We've received, we have received the goodness of His favor. That's Paul's argument to the brethren in Corinth to now help your needy brethren. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness. He's not talking about wheat seed or corn seed there. He's talking about the seed of your faith. Multiply the seed you've sown. That's why he says, so bountifully. Back in verse 6. And you reap bountifully. You want to be strengthened in grace? Then live by faith. Do the good works that God puts in within our ability to do. And God's going to bless that and enable us to keep on doing those good things. God's grace strengthens us. Can one person do everything? No, but all of us can do something. All of us, none of us can give. Everything that needs to be given, but we can all give as we purposed in our heart. We can all give with cheerfulness. We can see that these are opportunities in our giving to express the favor of God. Amen. Whether it's to help needy brethren, support the preaching of the gospel, or, or provide those tools for edifying the saints. It's how we get stronger in grace. We put our faith to work in accomplishing the work of God. Grace supplies us with strength also to endure trials. He says be strengthened in grace. Well, look at how Paul was in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. 
He's, Paul said, God said, no, I'm not going to remove the thorn in your flesh, but my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So there's the combination of grace and strength. My, grace, my strength, your weakness, Paul, but my strength, my grace, my strength. So when you're weak, you'll be made strong. See, so Paul says, I'm going to take, I'll boast rather in my infirmity that, that the power of Christ may rest on me. Who would trust in Him to accomplish, to overcome a trial, to endure a hardship, to face the realities of life? Us, ourselves, or, or God? Strengthening grace. He says, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions, distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Because he's relying on the strength of God's grace. Sustaining because he's seeing in eyes of faith. And he will not be deterred from living in faith and receiving God's grace. The Bible says, God loves us and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. We have no hope except that it is by the grace of God found in Jesus Christ. God is gathering the remnant according to the election of grace. He elects us in His Son. He's elected to save us in His Son. He's chosen us in Him to be His children, to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We have to choose to be in Jesus. The Gospel teaches us how to do that. To repent enough times. To be forgiven and be added to His church and then to live to stand in God's grace. And to be strengthened and to grow in that grace. And so as to be joy, God accomplished the good work He's given us. Look at, look please at Romans, back to Psalm 107 as we close. Now let's read this again with all these thoughts of God's goodness and grace in mind. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east and the west and the north and the south. <coughs> oh, yeah, that description of the exiles returning to Jerusalem was just a shadow of what God is accomplishing in his gospel through his son this very hour. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. This is what the redeemed do. They don't rely upon themselves, they don't get puffed up in themselves but with humility and recognition of the salvation that God gives, the deliverance that only He can give. They lift up their voices in praise for His mercy, for His loving kindness, for His goodness. Oh, that men will give thanks to the Lord for His goodness, for His wonderful works to the children of men. What is more wonderful than God's grace that saves us through faith. For by grace have you been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Our salvation is God's gift. We have to meet the condition to receive the gift. And so the call of the Gospel is to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That He did sacrifice as an action of God's mercy and grace for us so that we could be redeemed. Repent of your sins. Be baptized into His death. To receive the benefit of that sacrifice. And then walk in the unison of life, standing in the grace of God. If He can help you do that to become a Christian, we urge you to come forward now or to correct sin in your life as a Christian so that 
by the exhortations and the testifyings tonight of the true grace of God, you'll meet the condition that God has set for us as Christians. Confess our sin. Repent of our sin. God's grace reaches us and it sustains us. Won't you come while we stand and listen?